Tonight, I want to spend some time with you, and uh, I want to talk tonight uh, for the next few moments, however long we have here, uh, on handling life's challenges. Before we took the break, we were uh, dealing with uh, Mark chapter 5, and uh, we dealt with those three sort of pericopes that are there. We dealt with those. And tonight, I want to push over to chapter 6 and begin to examine this from the perspective of Jesus handling life's challenges. And if you open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 6, uh, just open your word and then stand with me. And we're just going to read the first six verses together, read it in whatever translation you have. I have it in the New King James Version, uh, but read it in your translation. It'll be the same word, just different words. Amen? Let's read. Then he went out from there, read together, read aloud and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which he is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? In this, the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. May the Lord bless his word. You may be seated. Now, what's interesting to me when you read this text, um, some of your Bibles will talk to the, have the theme written on top, which says Jesus uh, rejected at Nazareth. And that is a, a really appropriate way of putting it. You know, he was rejected. They did not receive him. What's interesting to me when you really dig down into it is that Jesus goes to his hometown. Now, we all know that he wasn't born in Nazareth, but he was reared in Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem, but reared in Nazareth, which means that for at least 30 years of his life, these people had seen him. They had been in his company, uh, and we know that he was a carpenter. He took up the trade of his father. So some of them might have had things in their homes that he had done for them, pieces that he had made or things that he had repaired on their behalf. So he was a carpenter. And now all of a sudden, Jesus, who has been reared in this area for the last three years of his life, has been out there doing these marvelous things. And the news of what he's been doing undoubtedly has gotten back to everybody. Everybody's heard about it. You would, you would have to be under a rock not to have heard about some of the miracles that he was performing. Come on, let's just be honest. If we just take the preceding chapters in Mark, you see plenty of things in there. But just think about it. He calms the storm. He, he cast out the demons from the Gennesaren demoniac calls those evil spirits out of him and leaves him, the Bible says, fully dressed, clothed in his right mind. 
He then heals the woman who has this issue of blood, an incurable disease, who suffered for 12 long years. He then goes to Jairus' house and he raises his daughter from the dead. This stuff has got to be out there. People have got to know that Jesus has an anointing and power and glory attached to his life. And, and now he's going back home. He's going home. He's going to where he's been reared at. And it should have been that everybody would have been excited. Our homeboy is coming in. He's coming in. We're going to get a chance to spend some time with him. Hopefully he'll take a break here, rest a little while. What's interesting to me is his rejection doesn't start at Good Friday. His rejection starts at home. Those people that should be there for him are the ones that first reject him. And he carries that rejection all the way to Calvary. Now, when I talk about handling life's challenges, I want to look at how Jesus dealt with his challenge here. Because, see, he is challenged now that he spent nearly 30 years with these people. They know him. And now they are really being quite disrespectful. They're really being, matter of fact, downright mean. It makes no sense for them to talk about him the way they do. And it's no wonder that by the time you get right down Luke 9, verse 58, I think Jesus might have been speaking of himself when he said these words. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In truth, it would be so. Here he is. He has come to his own hometown. And there, when they see him, when they see him, if we read the text closely enough, and let's kind of pick it apart a little bit tonight. Let's pick it apart a little bit. So keep your Bibles open. Follow along with me. We're going to do it a verse or two at a time. But look here. So we know it's his hometown. Verse 6 says, he went out from there and came to his own country. I think the Greek is pistos or something like close to that. And, and he's at this home country or hometown. And all of his peoples go with him. His disciples are there. And he says when he gets there, it's Sabbath. And he stands up and he teaches. Now, we may have a glimpse of his sermon in Luke 4. Might be the same message. When he opens up the script. And he begins to read, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. But there's something about his teaching that is not just reading of the Scripture. There's something about it that catches everybody off guard. They, they see him, and they look at him, and notice what the text says. Read real close now. It says, he began to teach in the synagogue, in verse 2, and many hearing him were, what? Astonished. Stop right there. And I want to lift up the first point here, which is the astonishment of reality. The astonishment of reality. Astonishment of reality. They see him for who he is. And they are astonished by the truth. They are astonished by the reality. They see him. They know who he is. They know what he's saying. They are, they are looking at him like, 
we realize this is something we've never heard before. We, we realize this has, this has a flavor that, that, that has sage for wisdom on it. This is, this is deep. This is like somebody has been studying at the feet of the prophets. This is like somebody who's been in the hillside. But we know him. He hasn't been studying anywhere because he's been here. So in truth, when you read the word astonishment, astonishment might actually mean flabbergaster. That's probably the real word there. They were flabbergasted, amazed. Let me, let me put it in a vernacular you might be more familiar with. Somebody probably said, what in the ham sandwich is going on? I can't believe this. We know this dude. How does he come up with all this? And then as if to add insult to injury, they, they look at him and they're watching. Man, this guy's got wisdom. He's got mighty works and powers. They're astonished at it. And, and they're looking at him kind of cross-eyed. Like, you're not supposed to have all this. We know you. I want to just suggest to you that people may flatter you with their astonishment but astonishment does not mean acceptance. They may look at you, ooh, that's a pretty car. Ooh, you got a nice house. Ooh, that's a beautiful dress. Ooh, child, I love your hair. The whole time, counting your money. I said, Lord, that hairdo must have cost $100. Those shoes, what? Ooh, did you see that? Just because somebody's astonished does not mean they're accepting. They can look at you and see something good about you and not necessarily accept who you are or what God is doing in you. Now, how does this help you? If they did it to Jesus, don't think they won't do it to you. They may hear you talk. They may see how you carry yourself now. They may see how you perform. They may look at you and say, you know what? You don't have the degree to talk at that level that you talk at. Why do you use those words you use? Or how do you know that? You're not supposed to have that understanding. And you know, some of us, we play down to what people think. You know, uh, Chris Rock has that... Uh, that comedic routine of a slave who, who can read and is afraid to let his master know he can read and he's coming up on a stop sign and it says stop and he's going towards the stop sign but he knows that if he stops his master will know he can read so he won't stop and he's going right into the middle of ongoing traffic and he knows the sign says stop, but he won't stop because he doesn't want his master to think he can read. If he finds out I can read, he's going to get upset. He's going to beat me. He's going to kill me. And so he keeps on riding, get right into the traffic and bam, a big accident. And the master comes up and says to him, said, didn't you see that stop sign? And the slave responds, you mean that octagon thing? Where did you learn octagon? 
Sometimes you almost want to hide what you know. And somebody sitting in here now, you've been hiding what you know for fear of being rejected. For fear that folk would look at you. Some of you right now, you, you don't wear your clothes in certain places. You don't put your jewelry on. You make down your face. You change your hairstyle. You try to make yourself plainer for fear of being rejected. You change about everything about yourself so nobody will see you. Matter of fact, you try to make yourself as small as possible so nobody will bother me. And the fear of rejection keeps people from being who God made them to be. The fear of rejection keeps people from, from allowing the world to see all that they are and all that they have and all that God has invested in them because they're afraid of rejection. They're afraid of what happens. And sometimes that fear of rejection happens to people when they're very young. Somebody tells you, you're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You ought to sing in the background. And even though you may have a foreground voice, you keep going to the background. Nobody has to tell you to sit in the back of the bus you go there anyway this is where I always sit not used to people being around me and accepting me for me for my gifts for my talents for what I have and Jesus handles it these, these homies of his they, they are there they're flabbergasted. They, 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 they start looking around like, hmm, where did this man get these things? You know, you know the, the folks would say about Jesus, either he's savior or he's a lunatic. You know, you, look, either he is who he said he is Oh, he's nothing at all. Where did he get them? These are gifts from God. I, I, let, me, let me do this another way. Would you look at the person next to you and just tell them, neighbor, all of you comes from God. Stop hiding your gifts. You know, and, and let me tell you something. Sometimes Let's be honest, it's been your fallback defense mechanism. You've been using it all your life. You're good at it. You're good at it. I know pretty girls who dress as much as they can in the baggiest clothes they can so they, nobody looks at them. They won't even, they won't put on makeup if makeup would help to, to make their day. They just, no. They won't, they won't even, I've seen students in class who are brilliant, who have been told all their life that they weren't smart. And every now and then, I just, I, I'm still teaching, and I, every now and then I turn to a student and say, now, what do you think about that? And some of the most striking, brilliant comments come out. And after class, I go to them, I, why don't you, why don't you say what you think? I, I'm, I just don't want who cares what other people think? Uh, excuse me, just in case you don't know, 
I'm grading on class participation. <laughs> and your lack of participation is causing deductions every week. Can we pick up your game? Let me do this, because you missed that, went over somebody's head. If God were grading you on participation, how many points have you lost this week by not being who he made you to be? Ooh, that, I, I just flipped that thing on you. You said, I didn't see that one coming. That came back like octagon. I didn't see that one coming. They were astonished at the reality. But, but the second thing is, and it's in the text, and this is an awareness of reaction, an awareness of reaction. And, and I, wanna, I wanna pause here for a moment because Jesus very clearly knows that they have responded and reacted to him in a negative way. And he's aware of it. Can I, can I tell you this? You don't have to shut yourself off from the opinions of others or the conclusions they reach or their derisive comments to be happy. You think if I shield myself from other folks talking about me, it can't hurt me. I need to help you here. You really know how people feel. So you're internalizing their crap is not helping you either. I, I, I probably shouldn't have said crap, Deacon. You know, senior Deacon looking at me kind of like, Bishop, we can do better. I know that's the look he gave me. He gave him that look, you know. Bishop, we don't want to say crap in church. And now you done said crap three times. No, let's be honest. That's exactly what it is. You know why is that? Because it's the stuff that pollutes our minds. It's the stuff that pollutes our spirits. It's the stuff that keeps us from being what God wants us to be. And you can't handle it by, by hiding it or stuffing it down deep or putting it into some deep closet in your mind and say, I'm not going to deal with it. No, Jesus looks at this thing head on. He is totally aware of their reaction. Let's look at this reaction again. Verse 3, go to God, verse 3 with me. Here's what they say. Is not the carpenter the son of Mary? And the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And notice the last part. So they were offended by at him. Wait a minute. You gonna be offended because I done told you the truth? Well, then be offended then. Okay. This is this this is gonna be real helpful right here. Do you know people have the right to have any attitude they want to have? 
And you know what? I want to tell you something. People have the right to dislike you. That's their dislike. They got the right to be offended at you when you did nothing to them. They got that right. Matter of fact, they even had a right to talk about you when they go home. Hey, matter of fact, someone won't wait till they get home. They'll send a text message while they're at church. Child, do you believe what they got on today? But I got to tell you something. While they have rights, you have rights too. What right do you have? You have the right not to care. You've got a right not to let what they think mess you up. You know, I, I know many of you are not, um, are not fans of our current uh, leader of the f world, free world. I, I know some of you are and some of you aren't, but, um, but the one, one commendable quality he has it's one, only one. It's only one. You know what it is? The ability not to care what anybody else thinks. <laughs> now he takes it to an extreme that is not godly, but, but you got to realize, you got to realize that sometimes you can take a little bit of that, that and go on and do what God told you to do. Okay, let me give you an example. Can I give you a real, real life example? Okay. Sister, Sister Ken, if God tells you to scream at the loudest of your voice, can you handle that without worrying what folk in the balcony think? Thank you for, every, for the effort. It was wonderful. Why, why do I say that? Because there are times when when there's an anointing and you sense the presence of God and some of you go home with a headache from having suppressed the Holy Ghost. You done battled Jesus all through service. I was in church one time with this. Uh, I, was, I was actually at the Hampton Ministers Conference and I'm at the Hampton Ministers Conference sitting next to this other pastor and we're there and the word is going forth. There's preaching happening. Now we're in the old Ogden Chapel. This is before they built their new gymnasium. Now they've got this big gymnasium that holds about 10,000 people. But the old Ogden Chapel probably squeezed in five to 700 people. And these were old, old, old theater seats. Those, about those wooden seats. And every year they try and varnish them to make them look good. The only problem is in that Hampton Road sun, those seats would get sticky again and the varnish would be on your clothes. Old seats. The anointing was in the building like you couldn't believe. I mean, the presence of the Lord was there. This preacher sitting there, he does not want to praise the Lord. So he decides that he's going to hold on to the seat. And then this joker starts rocking. Mmm! Mmm! And I'm looking over there. Now I'm standing up right now. Glory, hallelujah, glory. He just a rocking. Mmm! Mmm! Boy! Now I'm watching him. 
Because he looked like a cross between having a bad bowel movement. Did I say crap again? And something else going on. And he's, mm, mm. This joker, he jumped off from the sea straight up in the air. I was looking, waiting for him to come down. When he finally came down, guess what? He had half the chair in his head. He had broke the chair off. Let me tell you something. Some of us try to contain what God wants to do. And we don't have a chair to break. Guess what breaks instead? Our spirits. And then we wonder why we're miserable. Why we feel unfulfilled. Why we wonder where the anointing is in our life. How many times are you going to suppress God's power in you before you're going to realize that the spirit of the Lord, let me use this one a little bit isogetically, doesn't always strive with man. Or God's, put it this way, God's presence doesn't always show up in the same way or the same time or in the same level of manifestation. And guess, I really want to bless somebody right now. Have you ever seen somebody get up and praise God, walk the aisle, and then all of a sudden other folks start walking? Or, or somebody started praising the Lord? Or somebody starts shouting and other folks start shouting? You'd be like, hmm, it's a chain reaction. Yes and no. Yes and no. Watch this. It was already happening. But when one person breaks the suppression, it released everyone. I'm trying to help somebody. Y'all don't even know how deep I'm trying to take it. But Junior, I'm trying to take them to the well right now. I'm trying to, I'm trying to bless somebody in here. I'm trying to bless you. See, sometimes we don't realize that we are a catalyst and not a captive. And you're remaining a captive when God made you a catalyst. Sometimes when you sing, I wish somebody would catch on fire, God's saying, if you keep burning up, you're going to burn out. Waiting for somebody to catch on fire. You are on fire. Okay. He's aware. He's aware that they're offended. And guess what? He doesn't care. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. No, I'm doing what I need to do. But here's the best part. And, and I close with this one. I I, I promise you, I'll stick to my time. I, he has an acceptance of rejection. An acceptance of rejection. Now, this is deep here. This is deep here. Notice I said he has an acceptance of rejection. He does not accept that what they think has changed him at all. You haven't changed me. 
You, I'm, I'm marveling and stunned by how you act, but you haven't changed me at all. Matter of fact, you haven't upset my spirit at all. I'm still going to be me. I'm still going to do what God called me. See, I'm talking to somebody right now. Y'all, you ain't got it yet. You ain't got it yet. Look at somebody right now. I said, neighbor, I got to accept what God allows and still be me. I'm walking down somebody's street right now. Let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me get it to you. Here he is. He, he, he's, he's still as anointed as he was when he first came there. He still has power. You don't have to access my power, but it doesn't mean my power won't be accessed. You don't have to accept my preaching, but it doesn't mean I won't be preaching. Because there's a circuit for me to get on to go and keep doing what God told me to do. Whether you receive what I've got or not does not stop what I got in me because there's more to me than my being in your presence. And your approval or acceptance will not change who I am because what God has put in me has already been placed in me. And I'm birthing something new on behalf of all of the people. So I can't worry about how you feel because if I internalize your rejection and accept that as a rejection from everybody, then I'll go home and I'll put myself in the bed and I won't get back out. I'll Crawl up in a fetal position and I won't preach anymore. And I, I think that my anointing is gone because I couldn't really pray in your town. But as long as I know who I am and whose I am and what I've been called to do and where I've been called to do it at, I don't have to worry what you think about me. I don't care what you know about me. I know who I am. And I know in whom I have believed. And I know that that God is able to do anything but fail. I accept your rejection. But I move up a little higher by knowing there's something God has for me. I... Jesus looks and says, you know what? A prophet is without honor in his own country, among his own relatives. Look at somebody now and say, neighbor, if your, fam your family or your friends can't handle the next level, don't worry about them. Keep it moving. Watch this, watch this. This all happens on his way to the next level. Everybody can't handle your elevation. Oh man, I'm teaching in here tonight. Everybody can't handle your elevation. 
And let me tell you something. Sometimes folk will tolerate you when you really ought to be celebrated. And you don't want to be tolerated. You want to be celebrated. You want to have folk know that God is moving in you. I'm, I, I, got, I, I know I got to stop. I know I got to stop. I got to stop. I, I got to stop. I, um, can, I, can I give you one last piece of this puzzle? Just, just I, I'm done. I'm done. Where really I am? I really am. But, but here's the last piece. If you refuse to internalize the pain from the outside, it will increase your power on the inside. Let me do it again. You got to get this now. This is really important. Refuse to internalize the pain from the outside so you can increase your power on the inside. And what power is increased in him? You know what power is increased? His resolve, his resolve to do God's will in the face of adversity. By the time he gets to Good Friday, ain't nothing already been talked about. Ain't nothing already been rejected. Just part of my process. Your stuff won't overpower what God wants to do in me. Let me can 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 y'all can y'all can y'all grab this one down? Grab this one down. Here, here it is. Here it is. Go home with this now. Go home with this now. Take this home with you. The moment you get to the place where you know who you are, your resolve will bring you to your next level. But as long as you can be defined by external voices, you will be resigned to the position you're currently in. Your resolve. Nobody else's. Your resolve. Who I am. Matisse, if you don't tell yourself I'm a teacher and I've got a word to give, huh? If you don't tell yourself I'm a preacher, I've got a word to give. If you don't tell yourself I'm a deaconess or I'm a missionary or I'm a deacon and I've got a word in my spirit, if someone else can walk up and tell you, well, you're not the kind of deaconess I know. All of a sudden you start doubting your ability. You're not the kind of missionary we used to have. Matter of fact, since you ain't the kind of deaconess I know, turn your head in. Y'all missing it because the external voices have one goal. You know what the goal is? I don't, I'm not trying to get you excited now. I'm trying to get you information. You know what the goal is? Huh? She said, to kill and destroy? That, 
that, that would be that would be ultimately. But do you know what the goal is? The, the goal is to derail your mission in life. The rejection of Jesus on multiple levels were timed by the adversary to try to derail his mission. Everything you see that happens to falling towards Calvary is trying to get him not to be who he was. And the first place they try to crush, or the first place they try to come, before they go for your body, try to get your mind, your heart, your soul. Try to mess with your head. I said it Sunday, and you can see the parallel now. Don't give out space in your head to folk that ain't paying rent. Come on, let's give God a praise. Wow. I've got...